0: So this sermon, this sermon series, I should say, has evolved a lot since I began thinking about doing this, I don't know, probably back in June, something I've been toying with about exactly what I want to say. Uh, Some of this was because we just kind of ran out of time at the end of the semester with all of the stuff with the bananas hanging from nooses with all of the things going on in the world, with all of the things to say, and then you guys were having finals. And as the semester, as all of you kind of left for the summer, many of you left, some of you were still here, but we weren't gathering in this space on Sunday evenings, it felt like, to me, something was left unsaid. And that's why I designed this series to talk about what prophetic voice is, because I wanted to talk about what does it mean to be a people of faith, and to speak truth to power and to stand up. And how do we begin to find that? How do we begin to explore what that is? How do we know if we're speaking truth to power? And when I say truth, I mean capital T truth, God's truth, gospel truth. And so that's where this sermon series came to. And tonight I'm gonna kind of wrap that up, I think. Maybe. I'm sure many of the themes of this sermon series will continue to flow throughout everything that I preach, because ultimately, well, everything we're doing is talking about this thing we call the kingdom of God and how we're hopefully headed towards it, how we're hopefully trying to live more into it, or at least reflect what God's kingdom is here and now. So I wanted to go over a few things that I have seen this past week or heard this past week. Uh, So we've had several hurricanes now and that has led to the inevitable questioning of what is humanity's role in making these storms more severe. The entire eastern Caribbean for the most part has been devastated by these storms. We've had Texas devastated by this a storm. We've had Florida devastated by a storm. All of this is going on and then there's this question of what is our role in climate change and is it a justice issue and if it is, how do we work first climate justice? I've heard about protests from heavy-handed policing in St. Louis, protesting the shooting of an unarmed man of color by a now former police officer who is white. I read about the shooting death of the president of the LGBTQIA club at Georgia Tech by campus police. I joined a statement of UM Queer Clergy Caucus dissenting from a group that issued a statement that wants to make room for queer inclusion while also not necessarily uh, denouncing discrimination. Leaving questions about what does it mean when I have freedom but others do not. I've seen immigration activists break in on Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic minority leader, demanding comprehensive immigration reform and demanding that DACA not be used as a bargaining chip. I'm certain there is more that I have seen, and I didn't say, that you have seen that hasn't been said. I'm certain that there are all kinds of justice issues from all kinds of places that we could all bring up right now if I just asked for hands. So with all of that in mind, I want to quote Reverend Dr. Eric D. Barreto, who said, You don't want God to ask you to be a prophet. You really don't. I mean, think about it. So a prophet's job is to take everything that I just said and say, well, this is where things are wrong and this is where God's pointing us. Who really wants to be a prophet and do that? I mean, really, being a prophet kind of sucks, if I can say that. Prophets are called to, to recognize injustice in the world and then to try to be a voice of hope. Oh, yeah, so not only do you have to point to where God wants us to go, but you have to do it and be hopeful. Oh, so all this stuff going on, and I'm supposed to offer you hope, too. Okay, all right, this is awesome. What have I signed up for? Oh, and by the way, just to be clear, most people really aren't going to be interested in what you have to say. In fact, some people are going to be very angry at what you have to say because, you know, justice tends to be disruptive. And, well, we don't like disruptions. Yeah. Who wants to be a prophet? Nobody? No hands, really? Well, one thing about prophecy to remember is that prophecy is not about predicting the future. Sometimes we get that Psychic and prophecy sometimes depending on what tradition you talk to what prophecy uh, How it's explained and talked about is going to be uh, different But at least in the methodist tradition when we talk about prophecy when I'm talking about prophecy I'm not talking about predicting the future Prophecy is reimagining the world and its transformation through God's vision of God's kingdom So there's that too So not only are you tasked with finding the injustice, then uh, telling the world that it is injustice, and then pointing to where God is calling us and offering hope in that, but then you're also supposed to reimagine it in God's vision. Oh, so just once again, how many want to be prophets? Who's feeling called today to stand up and preach? It's not an easy thing to do. And in fact, if you go through the Bible and you look at the prophets, most of them were not really eager to get up and go and preach. God had to work on their hearts and call them. Noah had to be swallowed by a giant fish first. Being a prophet is not easy, but we are called to do it. All of us are called to do it. Our Christian faith, as I've been saying for pretty much all of this month, is, offers it as an imperative that we speak truth to power, that we address injustice and oppression in whatever forms it presents itself. We are called to be prophets to the people. It's not an easy thing to do. In fact, it may be the hardest thing that any of us ever have to do. It's what Isaiah is doing here in in Isaiah 61, though. This prophet in post-exile, in the post-exile world, is speaking to the people a vision of where God is leading them, of where God is taking the world, Speaking to the Israelites, but speaking to the world. (laughs) Offering this vision of hope and where God is bringing the people. Speaking that uh, there will be change. That the current ways things are, those who are oppressed, those who are imprisoned, those who are indebted, this is all going to change. And one day everything is going to be set even. The year of Jubilee will be proclaimed, which that's a fascinating thing which I could go off on a while for telling you all about. But know this, the year of Jubilee was something that was instituted by Scripture saying that in the year of Jubilee, all debt was forgiven, all land that had been been purchased from families was returned. Everybody was set out on an even playing field. Everything. The slaves were freed. Everybody was the same again. And we were all forgiven, by the way, too. So God's forgiveness is also offered in that. Now an interesting thing about this same passage is if it sounded familiar, if the beginning of this sounded familiar, if you've only read the Gospels, it should because Jesus actually gets up in Nazareth and reads this scripture. Jesus goes into the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and he gets up before the people and he reads this. And then he goes, today the scripture has been fulfilled. Now Jesus was speaking prophetically to the people, speaking through the prophet Isaiah or via the prophet Isaiah, and do you know what they did to Jesus? Jesus, Son of God, sent to earth, As one of us, fully human, fully divine, says, "The scripture has been fulfilled." You think this would be a joyous celebration thing, like, "Yes, the scripture has been fulfilled." Look, they're going to say. He just said that everything has been set, even today. Everything, year jubilee is proclaimed. It is here and now. You think there would be a party, but no. The people got mad and they threw him out of town. They ran him right out of town. Jesus. Jesus offered this word of hope because it also meant things were going to change, things were going to be different, there was going to be some disruption, and that upset the people. Not to mention, who is this guy to say this? Who is he? That's Joseph and Mary's son. Who's he to say these words? Who's he to proclaim to know what God is doing? Any you of know this sounding familiar? It's exactly what it is like to be a prophet in the Old Testament before Jesus came. It's exactly when Jesus came. It's after Jesus came and all the way to today. Being a prophet sucks. But it's got to be done. Because hope has to be preached, and the good news has to be proclaimed, and it has to be worked for. Because, you know, part of being prophetic isn't just going to the people and saying the things and saying, okay, now you have the information, go and do. It's actively working on that change. It's calling the people to task, continuing to be with the people. You don't just make one statement. You go up and you speak prophetically and then you get up and the next day and you say, okay, remember when I said this yesterday? How are we moving forward on that? Being prophetic is moving forward into this future of God's kingdom so that we can get to that day of jubilee. Now, most of us can, again, thinking about what I said in the beginning, look around and say, clearly, we have not reached it yet. We have not found that year of Jubilee. There is still so many waiting for freedom and redemption, for the debts to be wiped away, for all things to be set even and equal. We're still waiting. And that means we're also called to continue proclaiming this word of hope today, to continue to call for injustice to be ended, for oppression, and for the prisoners to be set free, and the captives loose, and the sins forgiven, and the world redeemed. We're still calling for all of that today and hoping and running, and chasing, and reaching, and falling short. But we still get up every day and we keep going. It's not easy. It's probably the hardest thing we'll ever do. Beth Richardson tells the story of a guy named Moses who, uh, in spite of his name, had no interest in being a preacher or a prophet. In fact, he was a musician who had started playing professionally at the age of 12, and from there his career took off. He was also a religious man. His grandma had raised him in the church, and so in the 60s when the lunch counter movements began and people began to sit in at the lunch counters, Moses Thinking back to what his grandma had taught him, he went and sat. But then, King and Kennedy were assassinated, and Moses kind of lost his hope, and he fell away from the church. He became disillusioned, frankly, and focused on his real passion, which was his music. And he began to pursue that full-on Long story short is that Moses actually got really successful, and he was traveling here, there, and everywhere. And he had some great hits, and he also had one of the other things that a number of musicians in those days had, which was an addiction to cocaine. And one day, that addiction caught up to Moses, and Moses almost died. And Moses there, almost dead, said, God, if you will save me, I will be yours. I will give my life to you." Well, Moses survived (laughs) and be careful what you ask for because, you know, then he made a promise to God and so he carried through with that and he went to seminary. This guy who originally said, I don't want to be a preacher despite what my family names me, that's not what I'm interested in. He finds himself in seminary and then after seminary he gets a church. It's a nice little church, kind of. I mean, well, really, it's, it's on the edge of a hill in a, a, it's a small church on the edge of a hill in the inner city. And it was a church that kind of had a little bit of everybody. Like, everybody, everybody. I mean, they had the rich and the poor, the gay and the straight. They had uh, people of color and people, uh, they had white people and they had... Uh, You know pretty much anybody you could think of in this community and they weren't really part of a denomination so he kind of had some freedom to kind of decide what he wanted to do he was in charge but it wasn't exactly where he wanted to be so he went back to what he knew and that was singing and he went to singing about justice And he went to singing about freedom and he began to preach a gospel through song of freedom and justice for all people and god's love for all people he went to the prisons and he sang in the prisons and he went and served lunch to those who were forgotten he spoke out about racial bigotry and challenged those who were sexist He grieved for those who would hate and stand in the way of God's love for any reason. He even went into one of these prisons and met a group of guys who he helped to form into a gospel choir and they got so good that he actually got them a recording contract. And all this he was doing to teach them, by the way, I could be be right where you are because, you know, had circumstances been just a little bit different, I might have ended up just behind bars just like you. And he was proclaiming this gospel of God's love and freedom and transformation. And as you might be able to guess, Moses is no longer with us, because you know, all of us grow old and eventually we'll pass away. And as you all can guess from, again, pointing back to the beginning, what Moses sought didn't happen yet. Not completely. Moses never saw the racial injustice, the opening of the prisons, the freeing of the oppressed that he sought. But Moses, Moses never stopped singing. Moses stood up and he sang songs of hope and songs of promise and in songs of freedom and if you'd asked him when he was alive why he did this he would tell you this the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to announce good news to the oppressed and that he was just sharing his journey a journey that had involved addiction and the prejudice that he had overcome and he was just trying to lead others out of the slavery to their own blindness and and lead others out of slavery to their own blindness and bigotry. Moses was a prophet, of God, who didn't intend to be one, but he turned out to be one and he preached and he changed lives. And he never saw the transformation, but Moses would tell you, well, you got to keep on going. Being a prophet is hard. Being a prophet means disappointed. Being disappointed a lot because, you know, for everything we do, there's one more thing that's going on in the world. And, you know, 1 Corinthians says this, God has put the body together giving great honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And so that means as long as we are a body, as long as we are the people of God, as long as anyone is suffering, any child of God is oppressed and held down, denied, discriminated against, hated, left to feel unwanted, as long as one feels that, we all feel that. We are that person because we are one in Christ. If my family member, my sibling in Christ is hurting, I am hurting, even if I've overcome my hurdles. And that makes this probably the most difficult thing you'll ever do. But, and this is the hope part of this, because I've been saying all night it's difficult, it's probably the most important thing you'll ever do. Because Moses changed lives. Isaiah changed lives. Jesus changed lives. You all can probably count the people who you know who have changed your lives. Somebody, at some point, led you to be here in this place. I'm certain it wasn't just my preaching that brought you here tonight. Somebody brought you to this place, to the place where you are in your spiritual journey. And we're called to continue to preach that hope, to continue to preach that goodness, that grace of God. And so I'm going to say something here that I hope is true for our community because this is me speaking prophetically for our community, our community. And by that I mean us here, well not just us here, but our uh, United Methodist Protestant community here on this campus. I want to to say something that I hope is true for us this school year. I wanted to say this on the first day, but I missed it. So I, I tweaked it. I kept it. Rick Rick knows about this. Uh, I I was working on this early on in the summer because this was something that I really felt God was placing in my heart. So I want you to hear this. I have a hope for our community. I hope that we can spend this year saying that black lives matter. And also that not all people of color are black. That we can recognize the work that white allies have done to bridge the racial gaps to end some of the pain of the past, but also be able to say that there's a lot farther to go and that white allies have a lot more to do. I hope that we can be a community that celebrates the gains that I couldn't have imagined 15 years ago when I was sitting in college that the LGBTQ community has made. And also say that there's still so much more work to do, especially for the transgender people and to normalize the trans experience in the world. That we can celebrate that our community, I think, has some phenomenal female leadership. And that uh, gender equality is still not a thing in our world. And you know, if we're being honest, there's probably some places we could still improve ourselves. That we could say that racial problems are a huge issue in this country and also that class issues and systemic poverty have no boundaries and also must be addressed. I want us to be a place where Republicans can come and share why personal freedoms matter and why and Democrats can come and share why the collective good is important and independents can come and explain why neither of the two parties are working for them. I want to be a place where we talk about mental health as something that affects way more than we like to admit, and that there remains a major stigma about mental health. I think we could go on and on, just like I said in the beginning, listing off all of the things I hope we can be this year, but I've already been talking for a long while. I know this sermon went a little long, so I'm going to wrap things up here. And say this, I want us to have hard conversations inside and outside of our community and to grow and to change and because of that be an example to the rest of, our, of the campus of what real community looks like and to stand up and speak prophetically, to stand up and speak truth to power in all of the ways that it is needed in today's world because God is calling us all of us to speak the prophetic words and to proclaim the good news each through our own gifts and graces, each in our very own ways because, friends, you don't have to get up and preach from a pulpit or stand on the quad and proclaim the good news like some guy who dressed up like John Wesley last week. You don't have to do it that way. There are all kinds of ways, and God has gifted each and every one of you in your own unique ways to do this work. But know this, each and every one of you are being called to seek that vision that God has given us. So let us go out and proclaim the good news. Amen.